are listening to Chugga Talk with Ryan Murphy, a podcast by Pull Across Made Simple. Hello friends, this episode is brought to you by Saucy Farm. Located in Wiggins, Mississippi, they're the premier Australian stock horse stud in North America. Proudly standing are Ballandown Zorro, Hayden Satellite, and Stonebrook Finno. Ballandown Zorro has fresh cooled semen with a live full guarantee. Hayden Satellite and Stonebrook Finno have a limited supply of frozen semen. Ballandown Zorro offspring have proven time and time again that athleticism, endurance, speed, and intelligence are just a few of the qualities his offspring possess on their way to close to 200 best playing pony awards. Zorro offspring are also exceptional in hunter jumper and eventing discipline. Hayden Satellite comes from the famous Hayden Horse Stud in Australia and is currently proving himself on the polo cross field. Satellite offspring were awarded best playing horse in international test matches in 2019 and his offspring have now started to make a name for themselves in the jumping arena. Stonebrook Finno is the premier sire in Australia for polo cross. Saucy Farm is near and dear to my heart. By purchasing our two stallions two years ago, Karen and Charles have carried on the legacy of my family and the hard work that my mother put into bringing the Australian stock horses to the United States for the sport of polo cross. All four of my horses are a result of that breeding program, and you just can't go wrong. Saucy Farm and Australian stock horses, the breed for every need. You can find them on Facebook or call 228-263-0930. Are you a polo cross related business? Chucka Talk has a truly global audience. To learn more about advertising here, email me at ryan at polocrossmadesimple.com. Space is limited. On this episode of Chugga Talk, you'll meet a very special couple, Gene and James Hackland. We are joined by Kat Liner, 2019 USA World Cup team player, as co-host. We discuss their coaching of Team USA, the various styles of polo cross, health and fitness tips, and much more. Here on Chugga Talk, the goal is to shrink the polo cross world by connecting people together, and most importantly, to provide education by interviewing players from all over the world so listen closely and enjoy how's How you it doing? going good how are you yeah 100 thanks for uh, putting us on here appreciate you guys being on here i want everyone to know that we have cat liner on here and this is such a huge thing cat was on the u.s team that james and gene coached cat is ranked 15th in the world as far as the under 25s from the recent polo cross 365 fantasy draft cat is going to be our co-host for today so welcome cat hey happy to be here uh good choice good choice of a co-host thanks everyone She's probably the, the, I don't know, the team favorite, the, the goofball on the team. The... <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good description. <laughs> How have you guys been? So let's just talk about what's going on with COVID and all that. The COVID's um, hit our country the last few weeks. Now, the last few weeks, properly, the numbers have been skyrocketing. But, uh, it hasn't really affected our family too much. Uh, we've been allowed to carry on farming. All good. It's just we've had more time together as a family, I guess. Uh, less school sports yeah. and um, our own personal sports, so more time together, and it's been uh, it's been good. Is it because you're remote that you're able to avoid interacting with a lot of people, and so it's only been sort of in the cities that it's been a problem? No, I suppose with the lockdown, we had quite a, a lockdown from the start, except for anyone involved with agriculture. Uh, we were allowed okay. to carry on business, so it hasn't affected our business at all, which has been great. So we've been yeah. able to carry on. Our, our business has carried on. 
as usual, which is great. Yeah, a lot of a lot of other businesses have really battled and a lot of shut down because of the, so, because of the, 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 shut, the shutdown. So being essential, obviously, is a helpful thing for your business that can't Definitely. slow down. Awesome. Yeah. For people that don't know you, and that's not going to be a lot of people, but there will be people that don't know the two of you, James and Jean, just sort of give me a little background on what, how you started and don't be afraid to share some accolades because there are some out there. I actually met James playing Pocahontas because I started as a little girl and he was one of my heroes. So. <laughs> uh, no, and eventually I did. <laughs> I grew up and ended up catching him. So it was very romantic. And then he, my podcast came on a lot with him. He helped me with my riding, made me a much better rider. I rode lots more horses. And he obviously helped me be a clever podcast player. So it, it helped a lot. And then I got to play in the 2015 World Cup, which was the best thing. It was the most amazing experience. And then to be involved in coaching the American side. And that was also awesome. So it was really nice. When did you start? As a what child. Year? Sure. What year? Hmm. I, I, I'm not trying to age you. I'm just curious. <laughs> no, you, you're you're both. Be- I would have been probably ten, nine or ten. Okay, yeah. that's really yeah. young. I started when I was nine. Okay, I started yeah. eighty nine when I was young in Pony Club a long time ago, thirty years ago for me. I'm I know I'm six years younger than uh, James, so we're all pretty close in age. I'm closer to twenty than sixty, but I uh, still feel. Feel too, don't. Your metabolic age is probably lower than mine, so I'll give you that. (laughs) Uh, We'll get into all that because obviously fitness is a big thing and nutrition. Sarah Desai says that she feels guilty when she eats a cookie. She still sees your face. (laughs) <laughs> when she that's insane. Yeah, anything I pull out of the pantry that's unhealthy, I have to like put it back for a second. My James wouldn't approve. <laughs> <laughs> what would what would James and Jean do? Um, exactly. <laughs> so James, I know you. We've met. We never were close. So I don't know you well. I know you're in that 2003 World Cup team. You're still a dominant player because you were the 2018 high goal MVP, which is not an easy thing to do. I've been in World Cups, but as sort of a a goal in my life, I would love to play in something like that. So obviously you're one of the top players in South Africa. When did you start playing and who who were your influences when you began? So my father was a good player. He played provincially and I think he played in the SAB team for a few years. So he got me riding from birth probably like yourself and probably like cat um so i was probably messing around on the side of the field from the age of six playing your chaka but in those days they didn't really um make the kids a priority we were sort of we might be on the backfield playing a little bit but the, the parents didn't really watch us and there was no real push for the kids <laughs> okay it was probably only when i was about 12 or 13 that they suddenly noticed that maybe they should start putting us in teams and push <laughs> us a little bit but yeah so uh, <laughs> I've been playing a long time, probably more seriously since since I was about 12 or 13. Yeah, I just went through the ranks, played age groups. And we used to play test matches against Zimbabwe back in the days, which was proper test matches in that um, we would take our horses up to Zim and play on our horses against them on their horses, which are true tests, true test matches because you had, you know, the best horses that you could get. And then the next year they'd come down to us. So we did that for a few years. I played on 21s and then made the senior team. Yeah, eventually got to the World Cup in 03. After that, we decided to take a bit of a break from polo cross for a few years. And I played polo for about okay. eight years, eight, maybe about 10 years. And then came back after that 2011 World Cup, we made a comeback in 2012 and started okay. playing again, which was a great decision. We've had an amazing time playing polo cross and being involved in polo cross again since then. Yeah. 
I, I took a break in 2012 and came back in 2018. And I live in an I actually was with uh, Harvard Polo as an assistant coach, glorified groom. I know it sounds wonderful, but no, I was I was the groom. I I was in polo for a couple years, so it was good for me to have that help my riding. It helped a lot of things being involved with polo. I still can't hit the ball because I'm a lefty and I just didn't didn't take the time. So you've been involved for for a long time. Tell me about the the current state of South African polo cross. I mean. You've been dominating the world stage for for a while now. Is it growing there? I mean, what are your your player numbers? How's it how's it going in South Africa at the moment? Um, so our numbers our numbers are probably up to about thousand two hundred, maybe thousand three hundred back in the day when I was at school, and then it, it's just plummeted since then. We've mm. probably currently got about three hundred and fifty members. Yeah, not so healthy, eh? The numbers mm. aren't healthy, but. The top level is strong. I'd say the the top few teams are strong, but there's no depth at all. There's a couple of us old guys, and then there's those World Cup players, and there's a good couple of uh, talented youngsters coming through, but not much depth in age groups. So we've lost that depth, and it's a bit of a worry. And right through, you know, the, the tournaments are smaller. Countries battling at the moment. A lot of people are immigrating. The economy has a lot to do with it. I think there's a lot more to worry about in South Africa than, than playing sport, I guess, for a lot of people. So that's, that's affected our sport. Um, I suppose like a lot of African countries, you know, Zim was a powerhouse back in the day too, and they, I don't even know if they've got 100 players. Right. Um, so that is a worry for us, yeah. I feel like it's, it's an economic thing, like you said, even in, uh, in other countries. What's happened with our top-level players is we've got those World Cup players. We've got those players that came up there in their 20s now. Life sort of hits you hard. You've got to have a job, and you've got to take care of your own horses. And we have a lot of those players at the top, but we weren't refilling. And we, we typically get a lot of players from Pony Club, and it's been hard. Pony Club has just been a hard, I don't know, they've had their own challenges. Where do you draw from players besides uh procreation <laughs> how do you draw <laughs> no <laughs> it's mostly family yeah. it's mostly oh, yeah. family it's kids that are, are like their parents play and then they start playing okay the world cup helped a lot there were a couple of kids that started after watching it there at shangweni they were they loved it and mm. they got into it but it is hard without your parents because it's so expensive you know you right. have to have a horse and you have to have someone to take you to the tournaments. So if your mm. parents already play, it's just so much easier. Mm. Yeah, that, that World Cup uh, South Africa in 2015 was, it did help a lot because Strongweni, the, the venue is a show jumping venue, show jumping dressage venue. So that sort of opened the eyes to a lot of those kids. So we've got a couple of them, but 98% of our mm. kids are bred, bred into the sport. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, speaking of breeding, I mean, we'll get it. We'll get into the, the U.S. team and World Cup uh, and all that. But speaking of breeding, talk to me about horses in South Africa. Where, where, where have they come from? Have, have you imported any? Uh, Australian stock horses. Where are your horses? Uh, so we've traditionally played uh, thoroughbreds off the track. We've got a very good r racing industry. Um, I think we've got some very good um, stallions. So we've had really good, really good stock um, and and quite a strong polo community too but in the last few years 15 years ago 17 years ago maybe Charles Van Vake um, brought over a really good stallion from Australia the Long Ranger and he had a huge influence on the sport those horses suddenly like just they were just amazing a lot of the champion horses actually most of the champion most of the countries that played the 2015 World Cup most of their top horses were 
Billabong Rangers. Mm. Um, almost, awesome. almost in every pool, their best horse was a ranger. That was a, a big influence in the sport. But I'm not sure how long, maybe 10 years ago, Peter Choice brought over um, brought over the Bundy horse. And he, yeah, also he amazing. Didn't Bundy. He didn't have Bundy. Okay, uh, yeah. And also different. That uh, ranger was is a very hot horse, very handy with a big heart um, and would mm. run all day. But the Bundy is much quieter and um, actually suited to polo too. So he's had a big influence on polo. They bred a lot of good mares and a lot of good progeny have come through and have played good polo and polo. So it's been quite amazing for our sport. That reminds me of the stallion that my, my mother brought over, Ballandown Zorro. And that was roughly, that was 20 years ago. Well, maybe 18 years ago. Has bred and Cat's got a couple of them. I mean, all the top players, just like you said, a lot of the top players have horses from that stallion from those bloodlines, the endurance is there. The crosses between those stock horses and the thoroughbreds in the beginning were just phenomenal. I mean, the stride, the endurance, some of the top horses, uh, one, one's name was Xena. So you can't go wrong with a cross. But, uh, obviously those full stock horses have dominated. I mean, I Cat has a full sister to my my top horse who's 15 now he was one of the first born so huge influence tell us what happened cat when we sold you playmate oh yeah uh, the buy one get one free <laughs> so we bought playmate at a tournament and like someone had played her like it was a like a fill-in kind of thing and i'd umpired on her and she was just massive but she had been like been on grass and chilling so then we bought her and I was riding her every day, every day, feeding her like absolutely nothing. We took her to a pole across <laughs> camp. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah. we took her to your camp. And then I was going to play her at Sugarloaf. And everyone's like, Kat, your horse looks huge. I'm like, I know. I don't feed her. And she's riding her all the time. I went to go wrap her. I was wrapping her back legs. And I looked up and her udders were so swollen. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like 12 and then I came up to the field and I was like, I know that you guys have been giving me a lot of grief about Playmate being pregnant and I think you're right. <laughs> so yeah, then we had the vet out like as soon as we got back and they were like, oh yeah, 60 days, this horse is going to be like giving birth. And yeah, she, <laughs> yeah, she was very forgiving. A lot of people wouldn't be too happy if you sold them a horse that's playing and then they were pregnant, but she got a good deal there. We had, after my sister and I had moved off the farm, my parents were there, fences were breaking, the stallions were just running free. And so that's what happened. So she got that. that horse yeah they're both playing yeah playmate's playing a lot now she's my top horse and then rue who's the baby is coming along really really nicely yeah. and then we have a cross of zoro and one of my brother's old playing horses and she just turned five and she's excellent we love her yeah awesome that's all right. Zorro, um zoro Zorro seems to have produced a lot of nice um progeny though eh? yeah. yes you can't go you can't go far on with um Special and uh, Rosa and oh Rosa yeah yeah um, that, that nice horse it wasn't uh, Dory didn't Dory have one Zenith, yep. yeah Zenith, yeah yeah my horse is fifteen three he was cut late as a three year old so he's bigger he's a little leggier than the other one so that's about as big as they get but. I'm a taller guy, bigger guy, so it definitely helps. But he's he's very unique in that way. I just have to give a shout out to Saucy Farm because a couple of years ago we had sold all of our both of our stallions, uh, Zorro and Satellite, and now they're they have them at stud there. Satellite's been cut, but there's straws, and then Zorro's about 20 years old, but still very still has good counts and everything, and they'll they'll ship the semen and do live and things like that. So you, you don't think uh, Ryan? 
cross, the first cross with an Australian, Australian stock horse with a thoroughbred is maybe better than a pure Australian stock horse, for, well, especially for Polo and maybe for Polo Cross too. And what I was seeing in Polo was the size, they were, they were getting bigger. The, the, the big, thor- they were using big Argentine thoroughbreds. You can kind of say the Patrons, I mean, this is my, my short experience. The Patrons might have been using the smaller, stockier horses, but some of the top high goal outdoor polo was, were these bigger thoroughbreds. I just remember, they say, you know, stock horses have tremendous endurance, but I remember Zena back then and her stride, I mean, just bound. I mean, yeah, I, I can't say one's better, but I'd say that they're fairly close. I mean, what was your experience? Um, yeah, I, I prefer the, the first cross. I like that. I like that thoroughbred influence. I don't want them too stocky. Um, right. I, yeah, I like that big thoroughbred influence. I think a thoroughbred will run all day and the stock horse will give it the brains. So for myself, I prefer that first cross. Yeah, we've got Ryan Strider out there on a tiny horse. I don't know yeah. if you... <laughs> what's, is, who is that? Uh, uh, moonshine? Yeah. No, not oh, Moonshine. Oh, yeah. Not Moonshine. That's who Emma rides now. A lot of them in the States are a little smaller like that. But no, I prefer them with bigger, bigger stride, finer bone. That, and that's what Zorro is. He has polo mallets on his hip. He was bred for polo in, in Australia. Yeah, definitely my preference. And I have a couple first crosses now that are two-year-olds. So I'm trying to get size. One's a thoroughbred and one's sort of a mick. But yeah, just trying to get that that cross. I do have a, a smaller one. And so I've got to lose weight and get down to her size so that I can make it as easy <laughs> on her as possible. I'm not used to being the little ankle biter down low. Uh, little, I'm already a so I'm already a sneaky little ankle biter, but being on a small horse will be a whole different thing for me. <laughs> Go ahead. That, uh, Zorro is such an Australian. I spoke to Charles about uh, sending me some, some semen, but uh, yeah, if Charles is listening, I'm still waiting. <laughs> yeah yeah well we'll have to sneak it in none of the authorities are listening to this podcast so we'll sneak it in somehow um, i'm gonna send you some bundy okay oh, there um, you go. Yeah. <laughs> or um or american-made rackets we'll figure something out yeah. okay <laughs> so let's get into your uh your coaching philosophies i mean we don't have all day i mean obviously you want to sleep tonight but i'm trying to get as much out of this as i can because having you on here is very special you did a tremendous job with our team i wasn't there to see it but i've heard so many great things if you could sh- kind of structure your coaching philosophies or what are the most important things and then we can start sort of honing in on how you do it i, th- I think my philosophy is a bit of both but the south african fast game and, and then also the more control of the, the aussie game i think you don't need to uh, to play one or the other. I think um, integration of both is definitely the way forward. So I grew up playing a very fast game. Maybe I was a bit of a flashy one with a fast horse. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to make sure I didn't miss the bounce over the line. Probably, yep. uh, probably played uh, nearly as fast as Braxton did when I first met him. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> after studying, I traveled quite a lot and I, I played a season in New Zealand and Australia uh-huh. and sort of changed my, changed my plans a bit. Um, uh, how to play a cleverer game where it's more percentage, where it's running better lines and maybe using your brain a bit more than um, just relying on speed and, and skill. Also, I guess as, as I've got older, my skills maybe not as what it was. So <laughs> it's better to use the horse. And uh, just for the whole team, it's a better, it's a better plan. My philosophy is the, a clever polycross. Uh, make the ball work, use the horses where you can, and just play a, a clever game as you can. When you're like planning the teams and stuff, do you, because like I feel like on our men's team, they're all kind of like they could play anywhere, whereas our women were kind of more specialist players. Is that something that's, do you prefer one over the other and does it change depending on like 
women and men for your teams? Will I play specialist players or will I keep them to their positions? Kind of both, because like obviously it's better to be well-rounded, but I just felt like that's kind of how our team ended up. Because we had like Meg who plays one of the best female ones that I've seen. And then like me, who I try to play the one, but it was not very successful. So we stuck at the three for a while. And then like Sarah and Steph were just powerhouse twos, whereas like Braxton and Raul and Rob were all just kind of switching around. So is that a bit of like a like a handicap or? Yeah, as you girls know, Megan only plays a one mostly in, in, in the States, as well as you, you're a specialist three. Uh, we had you practicing as a one as a backup if we ran into trouble, but your position is a one. Whereas the men seem to, I suppose, because of their clubs, because they're the strongest in their clubs, they need to change positions where they're needed the whole time. So they basically all around players coming into the team. So it did help uh, going to the World Cup with, um, with players that were more um, flexible. But often it happens like that. The men, are they have that innate confidence, you know, and they like happy to try other positions. Whereas women and ourselves, we become confident when we're in a place where we know what's going on. No, and then we, then we play our best when we are in our position where we should be. It just yeah. often works out. It is better. When it gets to that pressure game tournament like the World Cup, you do default to your preferred position and you do are more comfortable under that stress to play your preferred position. So Braxton was happy as the one. That's why he played probably 80% of the tournament as a one. And Raul was much happier as a three, although he does play an amazing one. Actually, in the beginning, I tried to get him to play the one. He felt... More, much more confident playing the three. Yeah, in, in the States, what I end up doing is I end up playing the three, especially in some of the top pole across. The one is so important and they do such a great job. Phenomenal. I end up playing the three. So I, I, I get the ball to the back. I pass it into my one. The one misses the goal. Then my horse has to like chase, you know, go get the ball back. And so um, I find myself playing a three a lot as the leader of the team. If, they're, if the other one's catching in the lineup too much, I'll just say hit the racket, just send it out the back. You get in these habits, you end up playing horses and getting your horses to go as sort of one-dimensional, like you said with Raul. So you, here's this U.S. team. They're used to playing certain positions. Their horses are sort of tuned up in one way. You talk about this forward and Australian style, these two different games. What did it look like looking at the U.S. team? We Were, were we confused because we were coming from the Aussie style, learning the African style? And what did you see when you saw our team for the first time? And just be honest, they, they can take it. So I'll start in 2012 when you first came over Gene and I came over for, a, for a, we came and played and we coached a bit it was very uh, very strongly uh, Aussie influenced Robbie told us in no uncertain terms that we couldn't throw overhand uh, <laughs> the game was was very th uh, that dimension which is great that's the influence they had and it was working for them it was just it was quite incredible when uh, we took over the, the team the way Robbie embraced it and said no if, if you want us to play African style we'll play it and I said no we're going to play a mixture of both we're going to try and play clever polycross you know he was obviously very very strongly Aussie influenced I think he played a couple of years there he went and practiced his overhands and he practiced a long pass encouraged the team to put the effort in Braxton it came very naturally I think he had been playing like that already he basically looked like a South African. Raul, I think, he had that mindset that he was African because he was born in Zim. 
born in South Africa and raised in Zim. And Carl was just, yeah, he's, it was, he's a really good woman, so it was easy for him. So everyone bought into it. The girls obviously had a little bit slower, but they came on in leaps and bounds. And I don't know if you watched the, those World Cup videos, there were some amazing passes between the girls actually, yeah, they looked, they looked incredible. They, they, their game plan was, was amazing. And Megan was amazing. She played a, a one good throw over hands like somebody's been doing it their whole lives. She was mm. really, she came to the party with that. Yeah, she so they embraced the change and it was good. Yeah, she was really good. So did you spend a lot of time on those fundamentals, drills with the overarm? How are you teaching that direct pass to them? We did spend a lot on those overarms. And especially with Megan, she had to throw maybe a thousand goals a weekend. I don't know. But uh, whatever it was, she did more. And uh, I think she practiced a lot uh, even when I wasn't there. Overhands, the, 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 the long passes and the quick passes started off slow and it battled a little bit in the beginning to get it flowing. And then it, the men were very exuberant about it, maybe over exuberant. The girls a bit more cautious. And then by the end, it, was, it just clicked. Yeah. So it was, it was really exciting watching it all come together. So do you get in a big circle and you're just direct passing or is it a, an outlet pass forward? I mean, how are you practicing that overarm accuracy? You can't, it's hard to do by yourself, right? Are you talking about playing ultimate? How, however you would you would coach a team or, or drills that they can do to work on that direct passing, the accuracy. We played um, we played some possession photocross where it was just passing and no scoring. And then also we played a lot of ultimate on foot, which is what I learned from in South Africa. Um, I think Tony Higgs was our 2003 coach. He started the the whole like ultimate quadrocross on foot which really helps your stick work so we played a lot of that too which also helps you now running into space and and passing quickly and um yeah so that came into it but uh the team i think they put a lot of work in at home um between the, the squad camps and tests and whatever we played they they put a lot of effort into throwing the ball to each other and getting them all moving were there a lot of black eyes from just swing you know in the ultimate <laughs> at, in, the, in the beginning it, was it hard i literally for them to got get... a black eye at our thanksgiving like practice when we had Thanksgiving in Sandy Creek and I went for a pickup and Seth just nailed me. It was massive and I had to go back to school after like a holiday and everyone's like, are you okay? Like, do you want to stay here instead of going home or whatever? And I was like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> but I think that was the black eye we got. What was the US team doing well that, that you wanted them to keep doing? What South Africans are not strong at um, and what the, the team is good at probably because of the Aussie influence, is the, the two and three carrying the ball up and finding the one in the area. I know a lot of us South Africans, we want to get the ball to the one and then take a play and let the one go. I know for myself, I don't like going into the area and working up and down, trying to get a pass from a two or three. The Americans obviously were much better at that. They had their set plan like the, the Aussies do, and it, it works. It, it's really a strong point because there's no breakdown uh, on the bounce. It's a more controlled game. So that was always on. If that, if that play was on, I encourage them to, to, to do that. Megan is very good working that area to link up with Kat or with her twos, Sarah and Steph. Yeah, I didn't have to coach them that day. They were really good there. So, and also um, the horsemanship. Obviously, Robbie is like, he's one of the top horsemen, I'd say, in polycross in the world. Um, so it was nice having him there. He really got the most out of those Aussie horses. So, yeah, that helped him. When you said that both styles were on the taking it down to the one into the area, so you weren't directing them to have the one go get the ball in midfield. You were just, whatever play was, the U.S. team actually had to be a little bit more intelligent. They were uh, they were doing one or the other depending on the play. So identifying when one was on and the other. Yes, exactly. Yep. So and, there, there was yeah. no one set game plan. It was encouraging them to use their own brain, pick the the style or the 
the move that was needed in that situation. But obviously, I did um, influence the the quicker pass to the one because it wasn't naturally there when I first came into the team. Right. So that became more and more the go-to move um, for a quicker goal because it's obviously easier for one to run ahead and score a goal with no pressure from the three. Do you think that there's any, like you said, having this versatile game plan, whereas uh, African team playing an African team is used to the one getting it all the time. Do you think that's so predictable that maybe in some way the uh, this mixed style was a little harder to defend? I think so. I think a lot of the teams are going this way though. You look at the, you look right. at the Aussie team, they're doing the same thing. They've, yeah. um, they've really revolutionized their play, their national team. I think their uh, domestic game is still the same, but their national team is incredible. They've taken the strengths of the Aussie game and they've melded with the, with the African game and they, geez, they're playing an amazing game. So I think that at the World Cup, a lot of the teams were like that. The English game, also a mix of the two. Most of the teams now are, are playing that way. It seems like the, yeah, the international game has really changed, I'd say. Do you think that the uh, high goal has been a huge influence on that, where you've got a lot of players coming in and playing, playing in Africa? from even the Aussies. Definitely the Aussies. That whole World Cup team has come over to the high goals, whether it's them or South Africa for a few years now, and have played our horses and have played our style, and they've actually perfected it. Yeah, I think that's had a huge influence on, on international polacross for sure. Right. Even some of the uh, Webby came over and played in our team in 2018, I think, and played a hell of a good game. He was amazing to play with. I actually played with him. He was in my section. So he was up to the, that style. He's, a, he's an Aussie, but he, he gave me quick passes and uh, it was really awesome playing with him. So we just need... Uh, we Braxton's played for two or three years in the high goal. So mm-hmm. Cap played last year. So uh, it's been really good. Yeah, they're in. Like, they know the right people and they're playing. And obviously, they're, they're playing t- good pole across World Cup level. So um, I've just got to pay some people off, you know, the, the Patron or something. <laughs> like that just to go watch would be phenomenal but speaking about the Aussies and and the the change back in 2011 at that World Cup in the UK the only overarm that the Aussies did against us was for the third place game I almost cried after that game just they they whooped us and uh Sibbo at the end he does an overarm as a one and everyone's laughing you know he was just rubbing it in a little bit and I remember the Aussies playing the South Africans and just they weren't getting a lot of ball the Africans were just dominating them they were, they were getting more ball than the Aussies in the lineup and, and the score was just going like this so obviously a lot's changed since then do you think a coaching change for them did it or just having their butts kicked what do you think <laughs> I think I think them getting off their horses. We all know how well trained their horses are in Oz, and they rely on their horse. The whole game is revolves around their horse, which is great for horsemanship. And they are amazing horses, and they've got their their well-bred Australian horses. For them to go to England and play a lower quality horse didn't suit them. I think it's not even a lower quality horse. It's a different kind of horse. It's just not what they used to. Mm. Right. Um, I think in South Africa we we get to play a lot of polo ponies that come in and then maybe we sort of adapt and then move the ball more to negate the horse. Right. And maybe that's what, that's, may, I, I don't know, I wasn't playing in 2011 and I wasn't there, but I did watch a couple of videos and it did seem that they maybe weren't used to that style of horse. Um, South Africa, maybe the same thing. Our horses are maybe a different style to theirs. Um, and now 
I think the, the Aussies have come over and have been playing in South Africa. Jimmy Grills plays a very fast-flowing, beautiful game. And I think he could play uh, a different style of horse where he's proven it at all the high goals now that he can play our horses and um, those other players um, Will Weston that he's played a few high goals I think they've they've got off their horses and have changed their, their style to to suit the whatever horse they, they're mounted on yeah I think I think there's a transition especially in our game where we've had to realize that you don't have to focus on one style being the best at one style the Aussie style the African style like you said why not be good at all of them and be versatile I think that's really the key moving forward so that's what you did well with our team because I've played against Braxton and Megan and Kat and Sarah and they're, you know, they're just, uh, they're just, you know, whoop my butt, you know, the old man, but I'm not, I haven't given up, you know, there's a, might give it a go for the next world cup. If, you know, if I, if I put the commitment in, so let's talk about fitness and, and, and your approach to fitness right now, I'll just say I'm on a 10 day keto challenge and I'm actually drinking, (laughs) I'm actually drinking exogenous ketones. So I'm, I'm cheating a little bit where it helps me stay in ketosis. And I sort of had uh, what I call a Popeye moment where you sort of had enough and I'm trying to get my weight down. That's sort of my first goal if I'm going to go towards the next World Cup. Get my weight down, keep it down, be fit. It's always been a yo-yo thing for me in my whole life. We'll talk with, about nutrition first. Is there a certain way that you eat when you're trying to play at your top level? Or it's probably not that extreme as a keto diet, but just, yeah, tell me what, how you guys eat. Uh, probably no bread um, in their house. whole foods. Okay, whole foods. Okay. <laughs> What'd you say, Kat? Yeah, so There's no food. bread in their house. Not a single oh. bread. <laughs> <laughs> Are we trying to avoid um, processed carbs and sugar? Yeah, I just think if you want to play your top level polo cross, you want to be at your best level, especially if you're going to a World Cup. If you want to go to the next World Cup, you must put whatever effort you can. One of the controllables is your body. You want to be as light as you can for that horse so it can run all day and as fast mm-hmm. as it can. And I think you play it a better game if you are feeling like a superstar. Have you eaten more animal protein and played and then compare that to more vegetable protein type of thing? And have you experienced that difference or are you just balanced, low carb type of eating? I'm uh, balanced, lots of animal protein. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, less, carb, less carbohydrates, I guess. So there's no soda in your house. What about beer? Is that a... Is that a... <laughs> exactly. Here's the idea. <laughs> okay, but it has Here's to be earned. <laughs> it has to be earned, right? Yeah, That's exactly. So, about your fitness plan, James? Did it come from like, just like what you do? Or did you like go talk to people about... Uh, obviously our prep was very rigorous and we were doing stuff every day and sending you stuff about it so did you like format it from what you usually do or did you like research on the internet or other people like where did it come from i actually had a few uh, influences one of my main influences actually was um Braxton's uncle doug yeah. uh, he sent me some good exercises so i used a lot of that um i did a few of them and they were really really effective uh, oh yeah they hurt so, yeah so uh, yeah shout out to doug <laughs> when you're ready to play and you feel like you're at your top fitness, what's your body fat percentage? Do you know? Do you track anything like that? No, I've never looked at that, unfortunately. <laughs> you have good genes, unintended good genes. That's good. So, but you've never you've never yo-yoed with your weight. It's always you've always kept it in control, or did you change something because it's been a challenge in the past? 
Jean and I do a lot of endurance sports. Uh, we're pretty much uh, always running or paddling or, or mountain biking. So oh, awesome. Yeah, weight has not really been a problem. Are there big races right. that you've done? Uh, what's the biggest? I mean, you work towards that kind of stuff or you just do it as a part of daily life? James's big thing every year is the Doozy Canoe Marathon. So there's okay. this canoe race that goes from where we live in Peter Maritzburg to Durban. So it's over three days and he's done like 23 of them. He's done lots of them. Oh my gosh. So that, so every summer he does that and then winter it's part of part of us. So he's always good. Yeah. And Jean, uh, Jean obviously does a lot of mountain biking. She's a um, okay. uh, sort of semi-sponsored athlete. So Mountain biking yeah. serious. Are you wearing elbow pads? And, and I mean, are you, <laughs> are you <laughs> no, rec- not it, downhill mountain biking. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I'd have to fit in that. Like I fit in this shirt, uh, that, that <laughs> outfit. Uh, <laughs> I'll get there though. I'll get there. Yeah, I'll get there though. Um, so do you do you run on a daily basis or do you just bike on a daily basis? What's your day look like? Um, yeah. So in summer, probably run run and pedal every day, and Jean rides her bike every day. And then you're pretty active besides that, correct? Working on the uh, the farm. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay, so are you both managing the farm? You work for yourselves, or do you, either of you have office jobs? Jean runs the books for the farm. So, okay. I don't know. Is that an office job? <laughs> oh, not a bad one, She's right? She's in, yeah. in the office now. Okay, yeah. awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm out on the farm. We've uh, we run a, a sugar and beef farm, Peter Marisburg. Yeah. So and uh, yeah, Jean helps me. How many acres? I have to ask. How big is your farm? And I'm not sure about acres, maybe a thousand acres. Oh, geez, that's a lot. And is it an old family yeah. farm? How many generations? Uh, yeah, yeah, third generation. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so that's pretty so good. Your father, you said, uh, got you into polo cross. Was he one of the first uh, South African polo cross players when it got there, or was it before that? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think he was one of the first. He was definitely one of the first in our area. Uh, he started when it came to our area, but I think they had started a few years before that. Okay. Um, I can't remember the year they started playing podcast in South Africa, but it's been been quite a long time. I was wondering what your strategy was regarding like sorting out the horses for World Cup, because in 2017 you were familiar with a lot of the horses that we got in our pools, but like in uh, Australia you didn't know a lot of them, and I feel like off the bat you kind of had an idea of where everyone should what horse everyone should ride it wasn't really off the bat i had to use a lot of input from you guys it's, a, it's obviously quite hard uh, not getting on the horse yourself and and relying on on what everyone says especially when a guy like robbie says that every <laughs> horse he gets on is moving and he'll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh and then he ended up getting the worst horses because uh he, if he said he liked it he got it uh, basically for the ladies, we needed uh, Megan flying. We found that really good chestnut that she ended up playing really well on. The same for yourself. We we had um, three potentially good three uh, horses input from you about and watching, obviously watching how you went. I think we ended up changing your horse, your favorite horse run from the beginning to what we ended up on. Just using input and, and watching and seeing what worked. Being on teams with Robbie, it must be the Australian influence because at the end of the tournament, everyone stands up there and the and the, and the person with the mic, even if they're a five-year-old kid, I'd like to thank the horses. I'd like to thank the horse owners. And so I could see how Robbie just would never say anything negative about any horse that he's been given. So that's just, that's just the way it's Robbie is. <laughs> yeah. Would you say it's more difficult to play or coach at this high level? Because both of you have played in the World Cup and both of you have helped coach in 
the last one. So which do you think is more difficult and why? For me, I think definitely easier to play because you only have to worry about what horse you're getting and, and to play well. You actually only worry about yourself where, you know, you've got a strong influence on how the game goes. So you can try your hardest and, and know you, you can leave it all out there. As a coach, you've got no influence. Once your player is right out onto the field, cheapest, you just have to rely on on them really so it's quite nerve-wracking standing on the sideline watching them and it's nice to have an influence on them but you really it's it's quite nerve-wracking and uh you feel quite responsible for the whole the results and the whole the whole game plan and everything definitely i think playing is easier what do you feel jane playing is is so much it's so much fun you know and that whole adrenaline you know you know what it's like cat it's amazing to be out there playing but that uh, being on the sideline and watching and you feel so like helpless. You can't, you can't do it for you, and you know, like it's just completely different. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's also very, it's very special to be involved like that. But yep. yeah, I think I think playing is probably more exciting. I don't know. <laughs> I know, well, it's just different. Let me give you guys some credit here because I've heard that you have an outlook that's very positive. I wrote a book called Player Coach. I talk about being a po you know, positive as opposed to a negative. You know, there's the old school, which is very negative. You know, you picture the coach being very derogatory. But the positive coaching has been a lot of research done on how, how much better it is to be that uplifting, positive person. Raul told me today, he said, yeah, there were times when I wasn't doing too well that I, I kind of, I needed to be, you know, screamed at a little bit, but you guys just kept it so positive. How do you keep it positive when things get tough, when it's totally out of your control? Cheapest. Uh, well, I know uh, for myself, I uh, played better for uh, for positive with positive affirmation, and um, that definitely built me up. So um, I feel my players must must be the same. I mean, you know, when you've messed up, you don't need to be told. You might need to be told if, to do something differently, but you definitely know if you're playing badly, and um, if someone can build you up, you're definitely going to play better. So that's. Yeah, that's our philosophy, definitely on that. I, I look back to 2007. I've been on so many teams. I remember Joy Poole saying to us, we just, we just didn't, fin we didn't finish very well. Joy said, I can only do so much for you. You're, this, is, you know, this is where you're at with your skill level. If you can't even pick up a ball, if you can't even pass the ball, you know, we cannot take it to that next level. So I just remember how, how hard it was, and, you know, being down on myself in that, in that, uh, in that time. But Joy still kept it very positive. Once you're there, you've done all this preparation, you've committed all this time, but there's only so much you can do at that point. So I'm sure that's tough being a coach, you know, realizing that. Did you have those moments where you're like, okay, you know, you are what you are. You should be happy with, with what you've done to this point. Were there expectations ever too high? How did that work? No, you know what? I think I think the whole process it was like a, a growth for everyone. You know, we started off at a certain place, and every team meeting we spoke about things and we discussed what was going to happen at the World Cup and what could happen and things that could go wrong. And so by the time we got to the World Cup, everyone had done their homework. You know, like and they knew they had done the work, so they could sit back and say, "We've done everything we could possibly do to get the best out of this. If it goes badly, it's out of our control." And, and I right. think everyone did really well with that attitude. Yeah, and um, I think our team did put the effort in. I was really yeah, impressed definitely. that, you know, whatever exercises I gave them, whatever practices I gave them, whatever I expected from them, they did it. So there was no one, there was no slacker in the team for sure. Um, everyone put in 110%. And I was very proud 
you know, I, I feel we could have had a better result. At least two or three of those games, we didn't get the result we wanted. But we left it all out there. Every player in my team left it all out there on the field and they put the effort in. And, and I was very proud of the whole team. So I was just, I think it was a successful campaign, even if we didn't get the result. So if you had to pick one thing for the next, for, for the U.S. that they really need to work on, can you pick one thing out that you sort of left them with that, hey, this is that one thing that'll take you to the next level, or is it just experience? I think, I think definitely experience. They need to play more at that level to be comfortable playing at that standard. I think the World Cup will help them along, along the way, but just watching Braxton mature, he's played a few seasons in South Africa now. And from, from where he started to where he is now is, is a huge difference. Um, and I think the rest of the team, probably, yeah, they, they realize that too, that uh, we, need to, we need to play more at that level to, to get to that level. But I think the skill, skill level is definitely there. Yeah, yeah that's, I can't that, tell you how yeah. helpful like, my season was that I spent with James and Jean. Like, the amount of times that like, I just knew that it was so much, like the level was so much higher and riding their incredible horses and playing on Jean's team. And yeah, it, it was a life-changing experience for sure. It's hard to just be in the United States and, and improve. You're just not getting that competition. Looking at the next World Cup team, I encourage all of our young players to get get over there especially when you have the when you have the, the availability and as many uh tours as the as we adults can do that's great you know we'll invite uh we were going to do a zim uh barbarians tour this year but it got canceled uh so maybe that's on the table but as much of that as we can get so i think about the young players like a kevin horton who is in college you know he could probably or he, i think he's still only in high school if he decided to go live with you for a season I mean, imagine his skill level in that short period of time compared to 10 years in the U.S. It would probably be a better, a, a, fa a better learning curve, you know, being with you for one season. As much of that as we can do, the better. I have another question. How much time commitment was it to be a coach compared to being a player? Because I know both are tremendous, huge sacrifices. It's hard to even explain. What's the comparison there? I think as a player, definitely a bigger commitment. If you think about our players for this World Cup, how much traveling they had to do, how much work they had to do on their horses, let alone the exercise expected from them and the, the stick work expected from them. No, it's a huge commitment. If you put your name down for a World Cup and you want to get the best out of yourself, it's a huge commitment. It'll affect, it'll take away from your family life and your work and it'll affect everything. Um, I, I just hope it was worth it for them. But they, uh, yeah, they put the effort in and definitely as a player, it's a big commitment. Scale from one to 10, 10 being most likely. What are the odds for next World Cup? Gene being the head coach and you being the assistant coach. <laughs> <laughs> 10 with 10. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I've heard that you might be interested in coaching us again, which would be huge. But but yeah, so I just I was just curious. Uh, you hadn't. You better start running. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm gonna yeah. We'll have a direct communication. Yeah, I got to get my influence in there. Cat, <laughs> do you have any other questions before we let them? go for the evening just since we were talking about the possibility of you coaching again which would be incredible i think you all did an amazing job with this team last year unfortunately like you said we didn't quite get the results that we wanted but i think the like camaraderie and the teamwork was there but you know we just lacked on a couple things assuming that you're the coach for 2023 like how soon do you want to announce the team or like have a long list and a short list like how far in advance probably more than a year in advance definitely yeah, probably two years out for a long list and at least a year, at least a year out with the team. 
I'd say. I'm on the, the APA board and I'm also, I also, I'm the chair of the player development program and international tours are part of that. Her father, Wade Liner, is in charge of the World Cup committee. Because of COVID and a lot of things being canceled, our nationals were canceled this year. It's just not a normal year. So we need to really start looking to 2021 because if we're going to be prepared for 2023, we really only have 21 and 22. As many tours as we can have, you know, obviously the better. We should really put out a long list of commitments for next year and just start working down from there. And everyone on that list will obviously, if they make that commitment, then they, they'll be more likely to get that opportunity to go play overseas or be on an inbound tour. So I encourage anyone out there to put your hand up, even if you think that you don't have a shot. If you're committed to polo cross over the next three years, with the young players we have right now that are sort of on that edge, it's going to be a much more competitive team next time around. I can tell you that. I'm not much of a threat, but any of these kids that are coming up, they are going to be a huge threat. So yeah, so that's that's all I have. Any other comments about the team or the experience before we go? Yeah, I think if the team wants to do well the next World Cup, I think they need to play more internationals, outgoing or in- incoming. But uh, I'd say they definitely need to play more and get that international experience. Um, if there's some young players that want, they need to go and actually play in Australia, for one, is a very good grounding or anywhere in the world, actually, and just put in that effort. But to get out of America and and play against different people, play different horses, yeah, different conditions. It's, um, it's, it's, it's always easier to play at home and tough to tour. So right. I think if we want to do better, we've got to, we've got to make that a priority. Do you know what's on the horizon for the South African players as far as tours in the next couple of years? Are they already sort of set up? Or? I think the South Africans are, have got quite a good committee and they've already planned I think the next two or three years. Mm. Um, I know they're playing against, this year was already planned. I think there was a tour against New Zealand. I don't know, is that next year? I don't know. And this whole COVID thing is mm. messed everything up. No one really knows what's happening. Yeah. Same here. But I think the South Africans are, uh, do have a plan in place for leading up to the World Cup. Thanks for your time. I know it's been uh, about, you know, it's been a phenomenal hour. I wish we could be here for a lot longer. Thanks for your time. I mean, I, I feel like I got, I just got to know you. I know we know of each other, but, I do appreciate the time getting to know you guys. And I have a lot of respect for you, even before this call. And thanks, Kat, for co-hosting. You have a lot of color. (laughs) You guys, be safe. Have a good night. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for calling us. Yeah, Ryan, I really appreciate you putting us on your your podcast. We feel uh, famous. I never been on a podcast before. (laughs) Great seeing your happy face, Kat. Yeah, I miss you guys so much. My parents said hello. They're, you know, trying not to get in the way, but they miss you guys a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks, Ryan. Great to right. know you. Be safe. Bye. Yep. Cheers. On. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was tremendous to talk polo cross with legendary level players and coaches. What a sense of urgency there is about World Cup 2023 preparations. I hope you enjoyed the talk as much as I did. For more polo cross coaching, go to polocrossmadesimple.com. You'll find ebooks on how to become a great player and even on how to become a great coach. Find me on Facebook and Instagram. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe rate and review. Until next time, have a good one. Thanks.